What's up, everybody? Welcome to Studio Wesley Annex, the audiovisual podcast where we talk about the lectionary texts of the week. I'm here with Derek. You may notice things are a little different right now. Normally, there's four of us. There's only two this time. And if you're wondering why, it's absolutely not the fact that me and Derek just miss each other a lot. And no, that's that's it. That's This is what it is. I would say that it is because I miss you. I also named in the beginning of the season that I probably wasn't going to be on any episodes. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, our friendship just got at that point where we're like, man, all we do is work stuff, but we never get to hang out. So let's hang out doing work stuff. You know, I I think that is what happened on a level and I'm I'm not mad about it. So. I'm not mad about it either. I get yeah. to spend the next however long this episode is with you, which is the best. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yay. Oh, well, do we want to just any life update you want to share with us since we're not going to see you again for a while, probably? I just work a lot. And I love all the things that I get to do, but I work a lot. So, yeah. Huh. Well, if an update implies new, that's not really one. But <laughs> it's not. It's not. I don't know if I have anything new to that's share. Okay. I don't think I do. So that's okay. Um, yeah. Well, it's do you want to open? You want to open us up in prayer then? Yeah, let's pray. Great. Oh, great God, I give you praise for Annex and the conversations that take place on this show every week. And excited to be with Michael today. And so I just pray that you would. Uh, Bless our conversation and um, those who are hearing it, that um, our eyes would be open to the gift that is your scriptures and um, that we would see you and what you're calling us to do and be as a result of all of it. So we give you praise for it all and we thank you for it all in Jesus name. Amen. Don't you guys miss having Derek prayers at the beginning of these episodes? That's awesome. I, I don't miss it, but that's cool. <laughs> although, although Sam and Tess were killing it. On this past I'm, episode, I'm also. I mean, the interns are fire this year. So, oh my gosh, um, game changing stuff in Studio Wesley World for sure. You literally brought people onto the team that you that are now like threatening you. Yeah, to, oh, I know. I know. Way. They're coming for my job, but <laughs> all of you have been coming for my job for years. So <laughs> that's why I work so much. Yeah. Uh, okay. We're going to keep both cameras on just so that this can be even more conversational than normal. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll start it off with our our first New Testament text, Philippians 3, uh, kind of halfway through verse 4 into 14. So um, a lot of the, I'm just going to read the last chunk. Because I, I kind of quoted that this part out because this is what the bulk of what I'm going to be talking about is uh, it's ver- starting at verse 12. So this ending bit. I'm not there yet, nor have I become perfect, but I am charging on to gain anything and everything the anointed one Jesus has in store for me, and nothing will stand in my way because he has grabbed me and won't let me go. Brothers and sisters, as I said, I know I have not arrived, but there's one thing I am doing. I'm leaving my old life behind, putting everything on the line for this mission. I'm sprinting toward the only goal that counts to cross the line, to win the prize, and to hear God's call to resurrection life found exclusively in Jesus the anointed. Hmm. So um, I, uh, this sets it up pretty well, right? But the, the first part of this are these verses he's talking about kind of ridding yourself of grieves and grievances of the world's past. Um, and then... I, there's also this air, and this is the harder part for me. That's why I start with grieves and grievances, right? Because that makes sense. We're like, get rid of your grieves and grievances. Um, 
also getting rid of everything you've accomplished before God, right? I mean, he almost mm. basically says that it doesn't even matter. I don't care what you accomplished before God. It means nothing um, because once you have God, everything changes. And uh, this, I was like, ooh. And the reason I was like, ooh, because I'm going to get, I'll get deep for a second because why not start off really deep? Um, <clears throat> I, in relation to this sort of idea, getting rid of the things you've accomplished for your normal life, I have been talking with some people and specifically in therapy too about um, there's a lot of people, myself included, who have this innate idea that our self-worth comes from the things we're able to accomplish and the things we are able to do. And I literally wrote this note, um, everything you accomplish before God doesn't matter, oof, but then how am I good enough for God? <laughs> And I think it brings up this really strong conversation about the difference between seeking God's approval and knowing you have it. So there's this whole Christian sphere that a lot of us grew up in that tells us we need to fear God, right? You need to do these, these steps in order to save yourself from hell and like all this scary imagery. And I do think there's a connection between this fearing God culture, um, which is like I'm sure well intended to kind of like um, logically bring children and young people into the understanding of God's message. But I do think it can be harmful as we get older because we're left with these ideas that I have to, I, there are, I'm working for God. Like when I'm doing good things or doing good deeds, or I'm like forcing myself to read the Bible um, or like X, Y, Z, whatever I'm, I'm working for something like it's a, it's a job that I have to accomplish. Otherwise I won't get paid. Right. Um, whereas the reality of the situation is that we have that innately. Um, yeah. And then my note says, I often view the steps I take in my walk with God to be active fighting steps. When in reality, God doesn't want me fighting for his approval. He wants me to know I have it. Everything God says and everything that's in this, um, God's call to resurrection life that he's that um, we're hearing in this verse is really God fighting for us to know that we innately have his love and his life and his resurrection power, not that we're working towards it or, or we have to do these things in order to like gain that. No, we just have it. And because of that, we should want to do these things. And um, yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of where I'll, I'll drop that there. Michael, I love all of that. And yeah, you know, I found it interesting. And it's um it's in, I just sorry, flipped it over, but um in in one of the verses, it actually is very in the common English Bible, it reads very um accounting-like, verse seven. Oh, please. These things were my assets but I wrote them off as a loss for the sake of Christ. And it, it jumped out at me that that's the Ooh. way the English Bible read it for a couple of reasons. One, um, there is a way sort of in the accounting thought about thinking about things that things that you thought were assets you write off or things that you thought. Um, and this is the transformation that we are going through as we are reorienting ourselves or orienting ourselves to the economy of heaven, orienting mm. ourselves to the to the way that um, to to the that which is valued by God, and in God's world, and so that's like one thing that jumped out at me. And so Paul is very just like uh, you know working out for us. You see, these things are not valuable yeah. in God's 
economy. These things are valuable in God's economy. And I've got to re I've got to orient myself to that world because that's the world I'm living yeah. to now. And then I immediately thought about the ways that um Paul is not a capitalist. <laughs> um and Yes, that's what I read into the text. That's and that's what the Common English Bible kind of gave to me because of the words that it used. But I'm aware that that's not necessarily the way Paul read it. I mean, Paul was not thinking double accounting and the accounting equation. Yeah, yeah. He penned verse seven. So the ways that even I'm reading text already orients me in a way that's probably not. Um, not the not in the value of what God values. I'm not saying that mm. as best as I can, but the the hard work that one must do, because our worlds are are so not based on God's value system. Yeah, that we it's chapter three is work. <laughs> That's work to count things that this world says are assets to count those things as loss. And how hard, how hard to like be oriented to think something is value and you find your meaning in it. And then to be told, yeah, that doesn't matter to me at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and here's what to hear that is to then hear that personally. That because I value something that God doesn't value, that probably says something about me. I guess something's wrong with me. Mm, yeah. And God's yeah. Like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. I love you. Yeah. It's the value system that totally makes this, it creates all kinds of distance, all kinds of sin, all kinds of miscommunication about how I feel about you and, and what that then means for us. Like, oh man. And so I just take this invitation of chapter three in Philippians as this deep, deep work of disentangling the value systems, the mm. multiple value systems that we are bringing into our faith. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to say much more than that. Cause I don't know if I can. Right no, now. that's okay. That it's hard. It's hard. work. It's the hard work you're talking about. Yes. 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 So good stuff, Michael, really good Thank stuff. You. Thank you. Do we want to go to the Old Testament text now? I think I think we should. Okay. Well, um, the Old Testament text comes out of Exodus 20. Um, it's essentially all the verses that are what we call the Ten Commandments. I won't read them for you. There's some really beautiful um, uh, statements here, some jarring statements for some of us. Um, it, it, when you think about the historical context of what happens in Exodus 20, there's so many things about Exodus 20. And for me, Exodus 19, right before it, really sets up Exodus 20. And Exodus 3 is the, the thing you need to know before you get to Exodus 19 so that you really understand what's happening in Exodus 20. And we're not going to deal with that, but I just want to name all of that, that all of these things build on top of each other. But the thing that I, as I was you know, just kind of getting ready for today's recording, the thing that jumped out at me to be thoughtful of, and it really does kind of ping from the Philippians text a little bit too, is the ways that we look at Exodus 20, we look at what we call the Ten Commandments, and because those commandments were written in stone, we receive them in stone. And the difficulty of, of receiving the words of God in stone is that God 
speaks so much broader and yet with specificity for the moment. And, and here's, here's why I say that. By the time we get to Deuteronomy, which is Moses speaking to the second generation of Israelites who have come out of Egypt, and I can't remember the, the chapter, but in Deuteronomy, we have a repeat of these 10 commandments that were written by, in stone. But the repeat of the 10 commandments had some variation, speaking directly to the second generation of the Israelites, because how the Ten Commandments need to be framed and shaped for them is different than from their parents. And here's what's going to happen. Those Ten Commandments we know become more commandments and they have commandments and, and statutes and other rules. And then we build all kinds of, of, of frameworks and customs. And, and, and I, would, I would argue that there's not just one Judaism, but there, well, there's, one, there's not just one story of the Israelites. Rather, there's 12 at least, um, 12 stories of the Israelites for each of the tribes. And that's a different conversation for a different day. And somebody's going to send me an email emails, like, how dare you say that there are 12 stories of the Israelites? But there, I, I would argue there is. And here's the deal. Each one has a different framing, different way. And even by the time we get to Judaism, which comes out of the tribe of Judah, and, and Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, we have a particular story, a particular Israelite story that is not the only Israelite story. And even within Judaism, we've got multiple stories and multiple framings of um what it means to follow God, i.e. The, the commandments. And here's what I'm trying to get to. Like, even by the time we get to Jesus' day, the Ten Commandments do not look, feel, sound what the same way they felt and looked and sounded in Exodus 20. And do we have space for a God that's completely okay with that? Or do we need to, do we do this thing where we go back and we say, no, 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 God, let me go back and get the words that were edged in stone because those were the real words. And I think there's some validity in looking at that, but I also think that we need to pay attention to the ways that God is very okay with the, I'm going to be provocative, the evolution of God's beautiful word. And I, when we look even at the, the scriptures that we have, the canon that we have, one of the questions that we often ask is, why does this verse say this thing, but this verse says this other thing? Even with Paul, Paul says some things in the beginning of his ministry, and then we get to the end of his ministry. Like if you check out Acts 15 and then go to Romans 14, you're like, wait a minute, there's a couple of things. I don't know. Whoa, like the beginning and the end of Paul's ministry. And here's, again, the word is evolving. And that's beautiful. That's okay. And yes, that seems to me to be the way that God's word goes forward into the world. Now, I know that there's some folks that that is, that is dangerous for you because what happens if we keep letting the word evolve? And I get that. And I know that there's some theologies that we're a little cautious about um, that sort of take an angle of the word continues to evolve. But I just want to name that our, our scriptural journey is that what we have in Exodus 20, by the time we get to Deuteronomy, it's going to be different for that next generation. And so let us be open to a God that offers us commandments that are broad, but that speak directly to our day. What is happening? And Exodus 20 is speaking to a very specific group of people. And we have so much to learn from that moment and also 
how Exodus 20 then lands for us in 2023 needs to be considered in the specificity of the moment that we live in. Okay. Dude, that, that, that is the coolest thing I've ever thought about. Like that, that is incredible. You know, you got to keep your mic off on because I just like, no, I, I have questions. I have comments and I need you to keep, I don't know. I, I, I have never heard that historical version of things. Also the quote, because it was just because it was written in stone doesn't mean it like, um, we have to take it in stone or that it, that's like, that's strong. That's so strong. I think, um, so often times the argument, um, that I hear is like, well, God's infallible. So, um, there, so it's all, you know, blah, 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 because he's infallible X, Y, Z. I don't think that infallible means that you can't tweak things and change your approach. Like there are many ways to build the table Mm -hmm. (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I've decided to build this table in a different way. doesn't mean that I was wrong the first time. It just means that I've changed my approach. Oh my God. Sorry. I'm like, I've, yeah, my head is right this, And it's Deuteronomy five. That's where that yeah. next iteration of, of the 10 commandments is yeah. found. And one of the changes that happens in Exodus 20, we're told to observe the Sabbath because uh, the Lord observed the Sabbath and we are to keep it holy. That's why we're told to observe the Sabbath in Exodus 20. In Deuteronomy five, we're told to observe the Sabbath because we are no longer slaves in Egypt. And some would read those two and say, those are not contradictory. And I'm not calling them contradictory. I'm saying the framing of this commandment is different. And that is worth us really paying attention to. Because, and and there's something that we need to know that that the the first generation coming out of Egypt needed this reverence for for God. And that became the hinge point for the Sabbath. But the second generation probably needed a little more of a personal application for it. Yeah. This is real. This is human. So let me name this piece, and I think it'll bring a couple of pieces together. I, there are some of us in the family of Jesus that the original sayings, the original intent is what we hold on to. And for, for those of us that that's where we are, um, it's because that's the pure, we're looking for the pure version because we feel like the pure version is the real version. I don't want to name that and celebrate that, but we definitely have members of our family who remind us of where we started and yeah. where thought, where these thoughts, where these texts started. Yes. And there are those of us who are paying attention to the world that we are called to, the world that we are living in. Jesus does this over and over again, where he places the law in context. And he shows how when the law is not placed in context, we do harm. We do harm to people. And so Jesus helps us over and over again in the Gospels by saying, okay, we got to be thoughtful about this law that was given to us in stone. <laughs> We don't need to receive it in stone. And so, yes, we have both in the family, okay? I just want to name that. But then we are able to take these laws, these rules, these commandments, and we're able to place them in context. We're able to continue the tradition that we've been given and to honor the God of heaven that is calling us to be a particular type of people. Exodus 19 is talking about those particular types of people. 
And again, that's where I say you got to get Exodus 19 if you're going to understand Exodus 20. And Exodus 3 is the setup for Exodus 19. Okay, I need to stop because you need to go to a break. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. If your mind is as blown as mine, you need a break anyways right now. So we're going to, yeah, we're going to hold off. Derek's incredible. We love having him here. Uh, See you soon. Welcome to Studio Wesley Cafe. My name is Cindy Buchanan, and I'm your host. What is Studio Wesley Cafe, and what is in that mug, you ask? Both great questions. Well, first and foremost, I'm drinking a coffee with oat milk, because that's my bevel of choice. But more importantly, Studio Wesley Cafe is Studio Wesley's newest creation, where I and special guests am going to be talking about Well, the things you might talk to your friends about over coffee. We'll be talking about music and movies, art, social media, current events. Um, I guess some might say culture. And we're going to be talking about the ways that all those things intersect with our lives as people on a spiritual journey. Does that sound like something you might be interested in listening to? I hope so. Starting September 15th, every other Friday, a new episode will drop. So grab your Bev of choice, whether it be coffee, tea, water, because we all need to stay hydrated, and join us. And we're back. I hope you've had some time to process that. Um, just to follow up on our last discussion, I as I was talking to Derek over the break, the question then becomes like, what, what do those commandments now look like in our, in our context, the context of today, which is obviously an ongoing discussion that lots of people are, are engaging with, but uh, a one for all of us, nonetheless. Uh, that being said, Oh, sorry, Derek. I didn't mean to. No, oh, no, no. Let's keep yeah. Going. yeah. That being said, Psalms 19 next up on the docket, you get to hear all the beautiful words of Derek once again. Take it away, Derek. Uh, beautiful words. Okay. So Psalm 19 uh, is an incredible piece here, and there's a lot going on. Um, but I, I think some of the best stuff, um, let me just start, let me just read a couple of verses. Verse two, um, one day gushes the news to the next. I'm reading Common English Bible here. One day gushes the news to the next. The one night informs another what needs to be known. Verse three, of course, there's no speech, no words. Their voices can't be heard, but their sound extends throughout the world. Their words reach the ends of the earth. Okay, this is like mighty acts of God in this psalm. And the psalmist tells us at the very beginning of it, as great as it all is, of course, there's no speech. There are no words. You can't hear it. And yet, Their sound extends throughout the world. Their words reach the ends of the earth. And it says many things to me, but in particular, it just, it reminds me of the ways that um, sometimes I say to us, um, remind us that God is at work in our lives and 99% of it we can't see. 
Um, and that's that that's tough. Like that sucks. <laughs> that, like that 99% of what God's doing is just like outside of our pur- purview. And yet we've got to trust that it's there. And we've got to literally build like our lives on a reality that says that God's grace is abundant, always working on our behalf. And until later on, um, one of the things that the psalmist then says is um, the Lord's laws are faithful, making naive people wise. Like this, there's this transformation that happens because we're listening. And I want to argue that we're listening to the Lord's instruction. Yes, that which we see, but even that which we don't see. And that's like, that's a spiritual discerned um, thought there, not something that's just um, discerned with our eyes and with our brains. Um, another verse, uh, the Lord's commands are pure, giving light to the eyes. Again, the eyes, Ephesians says, is the eyes of our hearts being enlightened. Um, and so for me, this Psalm really is calling me to that place of humility where I acknowledge that the vast majority of that which I need to know about God probably won't be discerned in the ways of uh, normal education, particularly as we're Westerners, right? We are Westerners who like to feel like, once I've read this book so many times, I've figured it out. No, it's a different kind of posture. It's a different kind of education. It's a different reception and a different kind of instruction. It's instruction that, again, Verse two, verse three, there's no speech, no words. Their voices can't be heard, but their sound extends throughout the world. Their words reach the ends of the earth. And could we be people that say to God, I want to hear the speech that is without words. I want to hear the, vo- the voices that can't be heard. I want to I want to I want to experience the sound that does extend throughout the earth even though it can't be discerned in the normal ways. And let me just give a ping um to a particular group of people within our church. I want to ping to those who arrive in our space as disabled and differently abled. They may be individuals who could really teach us about this. Because they're they the way that they have to walk through the world and I hope that I'm being respectful and speaking about them this way, thinking about you this way. The way that our disabled and differently abled friends have to walk through this world, n- taking in information in a way, you know, it's been designed to, for a typically abled world. And, th- and, and so our atypically abled friends have to figure out how to receive information in ways that they're not designed. And many of them with courage and with bravery and with a lot of energy step into typically abled spaces and they say, fine, I'll do my best to learn a way that I'm not designed. And what would it look like if all of us typically abled folks had that kind of bravery to step into God's world and say, God, I recognize that you do not teach in a way that I have been designed to learn because speech, no words, voices that can't be heard, but I want to say yes to that. I want to learn from my disabled and differently abled friends that it's possible for us to do that kind of hard work. And so I hope that that was respectful of my friends there. And also I want to invite us to enter into the kind of revelation that's available to us when we say yes to that kind of instruction. Okay, I'm done.
No, thank you. I'm 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 gonna go real quickly here because the way that that connects with what I've got written down for our gospel text is is actually pretty pretty strong here. Uh, I just want to also highlight the the gentleness and the passionate of the words in this. Like this is a this is a love this is a love song. This is like a love poem. This is this is so gentle and so yet so empowering and powerful too at the same time. Um, this is this is unlike these things that hold so much war imagery and all these strong concepts this is like this is love gentleness and care um and i love that so i love that you re, you related to this larger this larger conversation um i promise i'm going to get back to how this relates to what i'm about to talk about this is matthew 21 verses 33 through 46 also um titled as the parable of the tenants so let me see if i can do a brief uh rundown of what this story is um so we have um, this parable about a landowner who planted a vineyard, he puts a wall about it. He gets people to like work in the vineyard. And then finally, you know, as the, as the owner of the vineyard, he would send, he would get a, a portion of all that is made at the vineyard. So he sends his servants out to get this portion from the people that are renting out the land and the servants all get killed. So he sends another group of servants, more of them this time. They get killed once again, trying to get this um, apportionment of you know what he's what he's owed. He then sends his son because surely the heir to the the land that we're working on um, would hold more weight. Once again, he's killed and his inheritance is taken. And then this, therefore, when the the owner of the land vineyard comes. What will he do to those tenants is what the question that is asked um, of like Jesus asks the, these followers and, and they say, oh, well, certainly he's going to like fire them, punish them and take the land back. And then Jesus is like, no, this is like a representation of the, the kingdom of God. Um, he says, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the Lord has done this. And, and, and in our marvelous eyes, this is like, this is what it's like. And I just wrote down immediately. I said, Jesus needs a PR guy. Like this is a horrible, this is like, like upon, this is a horrible way to get your point across. Um, he's like the guy that can't talk to a girl and then says something beautiful, but in a bad way. And you're like, that, that doesn't work. I'm like, Jesus, what, like, what, what, uh, huh? You know, um, so, um, so for, first I just, I just have to acknowledge this. Sorry, this is a little scattered. My, my screens are, I'm jetting back and forth here. Uh, verse 43, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people who produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on the stone and will be broken to pieces, anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. So he's using the, the, like, at least in my interpretation of this, the death of these servants and everything as the representation that, um, people who aren't doing work in the vineyard don't get a say or don't get to take parts back, which again, feels like a horrible metaphor. <laughs> in my yeah. opinion. But um, regardless from a liberative angle, I do want to talk about um, kind of some of the pieces that I pull out of this. Cause you know, we love doing that in the show. Um, I do think there's an air, at least, and I read this and maybe this is societal context with the strikes that we have going on and stuff right now, but there is an air of like masses rising up, strength in numbers. Um, God is showing power to the people over organizations in this, I would say. Um, they looked for a way to arrest him. This is how the, the passage ends. But we're afraid of, a cr of the crowd because the people 
held that he was a prophet talking about Jesus. Like they can't arrest Jesus because the, the crowd around him, the groups, the masses held Jesus in power. And it's because of that, that they were scared to arrest God. And I think there is stuff here um, about their, the strength in our belief systems, the strength in our moral code, and then the, the strength and the power that communities have when we are convicted in our beliefs. Um, very specifically, when we are convicted on our beliefs, we do hold powers now um, as the masses over organizations as long as we stick together and um, hold our our beliefs intact. Sorry, this is very scattered because I was so taken aback by the Jesus needing a PR person for this story. Am I wrong at saying that, Derek? Like, I, I, I think you know some of it is you know, again the way that we will read this in our day, right? Like yeah, in the right. Way that we're in, right? Like, and 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 the ways that it that the images may not come through as clearly through our cultural lenses, and so we've got to do work. We've got to do work to go back and 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 one see that in this particular case, Jesus is comparing the tenant farmers to religious leaders, um, who's Work is not really in the working class kind of sector. Um, and so it upends in some respects. Yeah. Like they may feel like they're in the working class. Right, sector, right. But that's not, I mean, the, the, the kind of comparisons that Jesus is drawing in this particular parable are not the way that we are used. And there are other parables that don't draw these kinds of parallels, that mm. don't really compare tenant farmers to the religious leaders, those who are holding control and power over people. And, but here's the other side of it too. There is a way of reading this that does remind us that Israel is in many ways slaves in their own land. And so mm -hmm. there, if we are going to compare the religious leaders to these tenant farmers, um, that we're doing that as we compare the religious leaders to Rome and Roman soldiers living among them and, and things like that. But even then, like, it just doesn't, it, it yeah, it doesn't come forward <laughs> for us yeah. in the same way. So we have to do a lot of work here yeah. um, to, to really pull this text into, well, here's a, a couple options. We either don't do that work and so we hope that people will drop themselves into first century AD and, and pull meaning from dropping themselves back mm -hmm. there. Or we do work to try to help us think about who's who's really who's who's who, who where is power? Yeah. What do we do with our power? And how do we rethink? I mean, this is so prescient for the day that we're living in, right? Like, and this is where the workers' rights uh, movement yeah. that's emerging among us really is yeah. um, an interesting parallel. Like, who really has the power here? Yeah. And and how do we use it? And and to whom, um, who suffers as a result of that power? And are we good with all of this? Um, and who gets left behind? Hmm. I mean, that's always the most difficult piece is that um, even in the, the one of the reasons that several different strikes are emerging is that one strike is revealing the inequalities of another group, and so another group needs to exert mm. their 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 need for some shared power as well, and so yeah. it, it turns into a domino effect. Um, and so there's a lot going on here, and and there's a lot yes, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. And, Hard to discern. And Jesus needing a PR person, 
<laughs> there are disciples that would agree with you, Michael. Yeah. You with that, what you want. So would you say, would you say that? So that that's an interpretation. That impulse is us struggling with the con the real world context of it, right? Like, yeah, I would say so. I yeah. would say so because, um, I think it's the most like common thing we say on annex is like, when I first read this, I, I hated it. You know, like it's like the most common phrase. And, um, I, I do like hearing you say this, like, yeah, the, especially as it relates back to this first thing we talked about, right. Or one of the first things we talked about, like our God is a God who wants that work to be done. He want he like asks us to put things in context. He's not a God that's just boom here. It's good forever. No, things are ever changing and, and evolving. And this is why, like when we read the Bible, we do have like weird aversions and why, and, and, and this is really good for this younger age group that, that, you know, we hope to, we hope engages annex at some point, right? Is mm-hmm. is like, yes, we promise we get it. The Bible's hard sometimes when you first read it. Um, and it makes so much sense for us to then say, like, yes, God wants us to put this in context. Let's see if we can make it a little easier by like engaging with it in in a one-to-one the way it is now. Yeah. Yeah. And let me name this other piece um that I think might be hard but helpful. When we read, especially the parables, but I think the whole text, nobody wants to be the bad guy. <laughs> like whether you agree with the ethics of the story or not, no one really wants to be. So either yeah. we try to make sure that we have positioned ourselves to not be the bad guy mm-hmm. in the story, or we go to defend that the person that's been labeled the the bad person. Yeah. And we often do that with those who are from marginalized communities that are framed in such a way in the text to be the the, the bad person. Mm-hmm. But I want to name that there is a power in identifying with the bad guy in these stories because it is in it. So I was just reading here and just thinking, like, is it in me to kill the son of the owner of the vineyard? Hmm. And as much as I want to say, oh no, because I'm I'm Derek, I would never. It probably is. Like, can I be identified with the tenant farmers in this parable? Yeah, who put in all this work and then are asked to give up part of that labor after mm-hmm. already renting off their space. Yeah. yeah. And what does that tell me? What do I learn from that? And I, I've, I'm saying this as something that I want to go back and do. I've not done it yet, so I don't have yeah. any revelations about it. But I just know that part of my discomfort is I don't want to be associated with the people who end up uh, saying, come on, let's kill him and we'll have this inheritance. I don't want to be numbered with those people, but I, I might be. You might not be. Well, in this parable, that's that's what God's asking us to be too, which is why it reads so weird because we don't want to be the villain yet. Jesus, don't tell me that we're the villains. Yeah. <laughs> and let me just name some of us come from theologies that have really doubled down on, you know, Jesus went to the cross in place of us. And so we're the reason that he died. And so we're really, really bad people. And 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 we're, you know, totally depraved and beyond. And so I want to just name, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to double down on that. I'm just trying to be honest to like, like I'm sometimes the bad guy in the story. Hmm. Like I am sometimes yeah. the bad guy. 
And it doesn't mean that I'm any less loved by God, like deeply loved by God. And sometimes I'm 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 the bad guy in the story. And so how do I receive the story when I'm the bad guy? Hmm. Um and again, want to be really, really careful for all of us who come from theologies that have just weighed that you're the sinner. <laughs> always innately sinful. I, I want to be careful. That's, I'm, I'm not trying to double down on that. I'm trying to like be a little more vulnerable. And how do we think about the reality that sometimes we find ourselves caught in these really horrible middle spaces where we do harm to each other, not intentionally, and sometimes intentionally because of things that have happened to us. I've said too much already. I'm going to let you finish this yeah. episode. Michael, this is why they don't bring me on the, ah. on the show. Yeah, I talk too much. I talk too much. Everybody's like, it's two people. Surely it'll be shorter. Mm. <laughs> What's the fun in that? Uh, but no, uh, we appreciate having you, Jarek. All right, I, I will close this in prayer here. Um, mm. Dear God, thank you so much uh, for being here with us and letting us do this work of reengaging with your texts in a context that we live in. Um, thank you for challenging us in doing so. Thank you for these love letters that you have to us as the individual and as the empowered community that makes us better when it comes to um, yeah, these different tasks that we're engaging with. Um, I think it's so wonderful that um, we have these tools from you that empower us as individuals and as communities and constantly ask us to do work through this gentle, loving um very passionate place so yeah hopefully these words are powerful and valuable to somebody thank you so much in jesus name amen, amen. Uh, Derek, once again thank you so much we love having you whether you like being here or not <laughs> i love being here but i'm excited that the interns will be back next week so. we do love the interns <laughs> until next time this has been studio wesley annex later we're, we're-